2: The FT.
3: Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. This week we'll be talking about the bank levy set up by the UK government last week, a £2.5 billion annual tax to ensure financial institutions pay for potential risks to the economy. We'll be looking at banks' reaction to the tax and some of the potential issues the government has yet to address. We'll then hear from Simon Bailey, Director of Payments and Transaction Banking at consultancy company Logica, about regulations and some of the lessons learned or not learned since 2008.
2: It's absolutely clear that the liability model for regulatory failure sits with national governments. It's clear that the costs of the crisis have impacted national economies in a macroeconomic sense. And therefore, the net of regulation is being being tightened, continues to be tightened, to mitigate risks faced by national governments and macroeconomic policymakers.
3: And leading on from that, We're going to finish the show today with a look at bank capital raisings in the wake of the Basel III recommendations set out last month. We're reporting this morning that Italy's biggest banks are planning to slash dividends rather than raise capital. And we'll look at how other European banks are supposed to approach the issue.
1: Banks are trying to weigh up the fact that they know that there's going to be a call on capital. There's only so much money in the world. And who's going to get it first? I'm joined this week by
3: Charlene Goff, our retail banking correspondent, and Anusha Sakui, capital markets reporter. And we'll also have Justin Baer on the line from New York, for our regular update about the banking sector in America, stateside. Before we talk about the levy on banks, let's go straight to New York. Over to you, Justin.
0: Thanks, Megan. This week on stateside, mixed quarterlies from many large U.S. banks, more mayhem in the mortgage market, the promise of capital return to shareholders, and another team of prop traders leaving Goldman Sachs. First of those quarterly results, Goldman Sachs headlined a bunch of big bank reports this week, with most of them sticking to a familiar script – a lousy trading environment, uh, improving investment banking results, uh, weak loan growth, but much lower credit losses. And for those institutions with big consumer lending businesses, the actual results were for the most part overshadowed by the latest crises to strike the industry. Investors remain concerned that big mortgage lenders improperly process foreclosures and could be forced to buy back billions of dollars in troubled loans. With legal and regulatory action on the way, these issues are unlikely to go away anytime soon. The good news for bank investors, however, is that many of the biggest lenders have been given the okay to spend some of their excess capital in the next several years on dividend increases and stock buybacks. Finally, and yet another sign that Wall Street is embarking on a new era, a core team of prop traders have left Goldman Sachs for the private equity group KKR. Once considered the rock stars within their firms and throughout Wall Street, prop traders have been cast out of their banks as a result of recent U.S. legislation. It will be interesting to watch how these traders adapt to the next phase of their careers. It's, of course, important to remember the many Wall Street exiles who have gone on to even bigger Second Acts. That's all for this week. Back to you, Megan.
3: Thanks very much, Justin. So we're going to start this week with the bank levy announced last week. Charlene, I want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, pretty much the levy was as detailed, but there are still some few big questions out there. The biggest one being the threat of double taxation. Now, this is for big European lenders such as Deutsche, the French Bank, BNPP and how if france and germany adopt similar levies if we're going to see those banks saying hey look we're playing the same levy in multiple european countries surely this contradicts you know established eu tax law how are banks responding to that issue which the government hasn't doesn't seem to have quite ironed out yet
4: I think some of the banks were hoping for a bit more clarification on this issue and this remains definitely the biggest kind of uncertainty to come out of the levy. I mean, this has really come as a result of the UK sort of going ahead with the levy before any of its sort of international peers. Um, Like you say, France, Germany, Sweden, Austria, all these different countries are are working on plans to bring in their own levy. But because the UK has put its out there first and said it's not just going to be for UK banks, uh, it's going to be for foreign banks with operations in, in Britain. The difficulty is that should France, Germany introduce their own levy, banks could get taxed in the UK and in their home market on effectively the same businesses. So it could be Quite a, a big burden on banks. Um, the UK government remained largely silent on how it proposes to kind of sort this issue out. Uh, we are hoping for a bit of more information before the end of the year, but it seems like quite a tall order to get this really clarified before the levy kicks in in January.
3: Another big issue that you and I had been discussing as well was the fact that when the levy was initially announced by the government, they um, they looked at putting in these percentages, which was 0.04 percent and then rising to 0.07 percent from 2012 to bring the number up to $2.5 billion. Obviously, when we looked at the document, we realized that those percentages had actually been scrapped. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit more of how they're going to actually calculate this because it's a bit of a moving target right now and it does seem like they're working backwards from sort of putting the number in and then rejigging the percentages to fit that. Is that your understanding of how it's going to work?
4: That's exactly it. When we first got wind of how the levy would be structured back in June when George Osborne announced the emergency budget, the idea was to have those percentages. They'd worked it all out and they'd calculated that on those... Measures they could get to this target £2.5 billion a year in tax revenue that the government is very set on generating. The, the trouble is that banks have been lobbying quite hard since June because they actually felt that the way the levy was was structured was quite unfair, particularly towards banks such as HSBC and Standard Chartered, who have big operations outside the UK. There were various nuances in there that meant that they would actually hit harder than the more domestic-focused banks. So because of some of the more sort of technical changes in the way the levy is structured um, and some exclusions, it meant that on the the original basis, the government would fall short of that £2.5 billion. It wasn't willing to do that. It's very set on generating that amount. It wants to generate more than the Labour government did from its bonus payroll tax. So rather than, than uh, alter that, it said, OK, we're going to change the percentages. So basically what this means is that the banks that are paying are going to have to pay probably slightly more.
3: Well, that's a helpful clarification of that issue, which we will see how that actually does turn out, because I, I've spoken to some people who aren't so sure they're, they actually are going to be able to get to the 2500000000 billion. Let's move on to regulation. Earlier today, I spoke to Simon Bailey, Director of Payments and Transaction Banking at the consultancy company Logica. I started off by asking him what lessons he thinks people have taken out of the crisis and whether or not we're seeing those lessons being reflected in the forms of regulation that are now being introduced.
2: It's absolutely clear that the liability model for regulatory failure sits with national governments. It's clear that the costs of the crisis have impacted national economies in a macroeconomic sense. And therefore, the net of regulation is being, is being tightened, continues to be tightened to mitigate risks faced by national governments and macroeconomic policymakers that result from the key role financial services plays in enabling the flow of capital around the world, both in support of commercial and indeed capital allocation processes.
3: You mentioned that point about macroeconomic and national risk. We've seen recently the tone, particularly here in the UK, but reflected internationally as well, various different senior figures saying, look, it's time to sort of realize that it wasn't only senior management at banks that made serious mistakes, which led to the crisis, but also we had a wholesale regulatory failure. Um, We need to sort of spread the blame. We need to get this fixed and we need to move forward. How do you see that impacting various different proposals that have been put forward? I mean, do you see us now turning the corner onto a regulatory focus as opposed to sort of a banking focus?
2: I think the answer to that is yes. But the process by which regulatory enactment and enforcement occurs is clearly ultimately by region and or country entities. It is always a nuanced area. Certain regions clearly do not believe the crisis of 2008 was one that much affected them. Clearly in the U.S., the U.K., to an extent Europe, there is a different feeling and regulatory behavior will reflect those macroeconomic drivers and indeed political sensitivities within those particular geographical regions.
3: Would you say that Asia, given sort of the response they've had, would indicate they don't believe they were impacted nearly as dramatically as Western Europe and the U.S. by the crisis?
2: I think that's fair, uh, and that's partly because the model of uh, there was a less leveraged model for banking in that region. The banking sector, it might be argued on the other side, is less mature is the wrong phrase, but less less complex, less interactive, less real-time, less involved in in the trading world. Is more about the classic functions of banking in terms of deposit collection, lending, trade facilitation. So their model of risk was different from that of the, the more developed economies. Uh, and therefore, they'd rightly state that the risk factors they faced were different from those faced by the more developed economies.
3: Well, this hits into this key issue in this debate, which I wanted to ask you about, which, which, as you say, were different regions that feel like their, let's call it their domestic risk and their exposure to the financial services sector is very high rush to put in new regulatory regimes that will limit, that are intended to limit at least, a future bubble, a future similar type of crisis. Do you think that increases the risk of regulatory arbitrage across jurisdictions as financial services companies seek out less regulatory places to do their business?
2: Yes. Um, That's simplistic answer. We need, we need short answers. to this kind of debate. Uh, there's of course a much more nuanced answer as always. It depends which part of the financial services industry you're talking about between you know hedge funds, etc., classic investment banking, commercial banking, global behemoths, national banks. But of course... Profit-seeking commercially-owned organisations will seek to optimise their opportunity of returns. I mean, that's part of the capitalist framework. The the issue for me is one of timing. I think it's fair to say that the direction set by the Financial Stability Board G20, uh, the Baal committees and others... Is broadly consistent about leverage limitations, liquidity ratios etc, the process by which that's being enacted in different geographies varies and the timescales are also varying. So there are obviously time-based differences in the way in which those regulatory directions will be implemented and enforced and of course the UK is going quite long on this quite quickly, uh, the US to some extent as well. Whether and how others choose to follow is a slightly more complicated process but the direction that people is to be clear, and assuming G20 FSB, Seoul, IMF, and BCBS continue their process, there will be a path of travel down which some countries will have moved prior to the final details being agreed at the international level.
3: That was Simon Bailey from Logico speaking earlier today. And to our final topic for today, how banks are looking at capital raisings in the wake of Basel III. Anusha, we're reporting today that the Italian banks, the biggest Italian banks, despite being perceived as some of the weakest in Europe, are going to be focused more on slashing their dividend payments rather than looking to raise equity. We've seen a divergence of this. We've seen banks such as Stanchart, Deutsche, go out and raise money and raise it early to meet the perceived you know, thresholds that are coming in. But we've also seen a lot of banks also saying that they're not going to raise capital. What are you picking up from the market in terms of what investors and bankers are are thinking about approaching this issue?
1: Well, it's very interesting that we talk about Italy this morning because late last night, uh, Banco Popolare, one of Italy's biggest lenders, announced a €2 billion capital raising. And to me, this actually highlights the dichotomy in conversations that I've been having all year about bank funding, which is the dominant topic in capital markets. So, you know, the view was before the summer that that maybe, you know, those banks that had been expected to to raise capital would maybe go through the year and not do it. You know, Deutsche Bank was one uh, that we actually did see come back to the uh, equity capital markets. And, you know, Comets Bank is another bank that everybody's expecting to raise capital, but, you know, that's not expected for some time. However, the clarity over the bar three uh, capital requirements that came out over the summer has prompted some banks to preempt what they expect to be a rash of capital raisings by banks. The Standard Chartered was one. Bank of Popular was another. I'm already hearing of another continental European bank that uh, could come with a rights issue as soon as this week. But on the flip side, they're also considering alternatives and uh, hybrid bonds, contingent capital bonds that could provide an alternative to rights issues are also being mulled by banks. But you know, Barclays is, is one of those that's being actively rumoured on, on that front in the wake of the standard chartered rights issue. I think probably a lot of banks are waiting for some clarity on the regulatory front. But I think they're also balancing the fact that a lot of other their competitors will need to raise capital and want to get out before them. We saw
3: that in the wake of the stand chart raising, that investors were discounting bank stocks that they felt were not going forward with rights issues. And I think there was some surprise by commentators, by people in the market, that we didn't see more banks immediately coming forward and saying, okay, well, Sanchart has led the way and they've clearly set the tone and therefore we are going to do this and that investors won't penalize us for doing it because they now expect that. It hasn't exactly worked out like that. Can you sort of Tell me a little bit of why you think that hasn't happened. Well,
1: banks, don't, you know, no company wants to raise equity necessarily. No one wants to do a rights issue. But the question is now, that whilst the regulators are starting to impose that market discipline, if you like, in terms of how much capital you need, a move by Standard Chartered in the UK raises into question the capital uh, strength of other banks. And then the question comes, does the market itself you know, shareholders start to penalise banks that have less capital. And that actually, it's almost becoming a self-fulfilling thing that Standard Charter comes out, Bank of Popular comes out, and that prompts other banks to have to come out and do rights issues. Charlene, what are you
3: picking up from what people are saying right now on this issue, which is clearly the hot topic?
1: Well, I think what's really
4: interesting is is it is becoming a more competitive thing. I mean, at the end of the day, there's no massive rush to get this capital in there. The regulatory requirements are there, but they come in very gradually. They're not coming in for a number of years. When Stanchart moved, there was some feeling in the market of of surprise. You know, why is it doing this now? We don't even know exactly what the final capital requirements are going to be. So other banks are saying, look, we are not in any rush. You know, we, we have good capital levels we may do something in the future, but they are steering away from the fact that they are going to rush out rights issues now. I mean, particularly with Barclays, where there is going to be a big management change at the beginning of next year. Do they want to do it now? Do they want to wait until the new chief executive, Bob Diamond, is in place? There's also a few questions over what exact, what exactly qualifies. So there's been some rumours that Barclays may not do a straightforward rights issue, but may do a, a bond issue, these sort
1: of contingent capital it's a bond that uh, the rumor goes you know that from investors that that, that part of the bond would be written down exactly. if it's if its capital ratio fell below a certain level yeah but
4: there are still some questions over whether this kind of instrument would qualify as tier 1 the highest form of capital which is what banks need to build so i think maybe they're waiting for a bit more
3: guidance on that from the regulators before they would go ahead with a raising like that i mean just on the final point on this just it's just the two we've seen, the two biggest ones we've seen, Stanchart and Deutsche, were both quirky in the sense that with Stanchart, there was this rumor circulating that maybe it had to do with them building a war chest for acquisitions. And then with Deutsche, obviously, it was the post-bank acquisition yeah. where they topped up on top of what they needed for that. So we have we have seen two, and I think people do expect this wave coming. I think Anoush is, is completely right. Well, it's Populara and, there's Popular and, and, and there's National yeah. Bank
1: of Greece as well. Absolutely.
3: It's coming. It just... It's just interesting to me, I think, that it does seem a bit more stop-start than you would have expected. You would have expected banks would actually take the the sort of freedom they got when Stan Charter went through and Deutsche went through to sort of say, OK, we're doing it now as well. I think it's a
1: balancing act. Mm. I think, you know, as a bank, you have to be careful because confidence is coming back. And I think the worst thing would be for, you know... Yeah, banks aren't under huge pressure. That's the whole point mm-hmm. of, st- of staggering the, reg- you know, the, the the reform. And, you know, sort of for banks to suddenly, you know, be under pressure and rush out and do rights issues. And, you know, what if some of them were unsuccessful? You know, that could dent confidence again. But I think banks are trying to weigh up the fact that they know that there's going to be a call on capital. There's only so much money in the world. And who's going to get it first? And what you're going to see in each country probably is the, you know, maybe not the biggest, you know, strong, you know, banks, but you know market leaders taking advantage of their distance from the pack to build on their capital base and use it probably to pin down their equity story which is something that people talked around around Deutsche Bank that maybe banks would use capital raisings to to um, as as a new base to flesh out a new story for them
3: well, that's a fascinating discussion today. Um, that's all we have. All that's left to do is to thank Charlene and Anusha for being with us today. And of course, our guest Simon Bailey from Logica and Justin Barra New York. And to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye.
0: For more downloads, go to ft.com
2: forward slash podcasts.